This morning, I invite you to turn to our opening text to Revelation chapter 2, verse 4. Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, for opening text. We've been doing our series, Loving You as God Loves You, Relationships God's Way. And we're on number 9 out of 12. And the sermon entitled this morning is, We're Entered to the Marriage Realm. It's entitled, Why Relationships Go Bad. Why Relationships Go Bad. I appreciate that song they sang. How about you? Amen? Amen. It's been a blessing. Forever friends. Forever friends. That being in love experience. Do you remember that? Saying we're going to be forever friends. Forever in love. Everything is going to be perfect. We're never going to fight. Never. We ever had any things we can't see eye to eye. We're always going to come together. We're not, unlike everyone else in the world. We're going to be totally different. We're going to come together and we're going to work our problems out and not once get irritated at each other. Forever friends. To death do us part. In this earth and for eternity. We're forever friends. And with a gleam in the eye, they hold each other's hands and they look at each other's in, in their eye and they say, we're always going to make concessions, reach an agreement, and be forever friends. Unfortunately, research has shown that the average person, the average couple, according to research, Dr. Tenov, has found out that according to couples, the average in-love experience only lasts two years. Forever friends. Two years. When they finally see each other and what's going on in their life and experience, apparently they descend from heaven and the clouds and they plant their feet on planet earth once again. Their eyes and our eyes are open and we see the reality of the other person. We recognize that some of their personality traits are actually irritating. We see some of her behavior patterns are actually annoying. He may have the capacity for anger and hurtful words, while she perhaps may have the capacity for mood swings and critical judgments. These little traits that we once overlooked, when we once did so bypass and not see anymore when we're in that in love experience, now become huge mountains to us. What happened to forever friends? What happened to those moonlit walks in the night, whispering sweet words to one another? What happened to those gifts of, of love given to us, service, of willingness, of happiness? What happened to forever friends? Why do relationships go bad? What went wrong? How do we lose that in love experience? Beloved, the Word of God has answers for us this morning. Amen? It has not only answered, but it has the solutions and what we need to do. And there are three things that call in love killers this morning. And the three things this morning is neglect, separation, and anger. These three things is the recipe for destroying that in love experience that we've talked this morning about. 
And as we go through these three areas, may the Lord help us this morning to see who we really are and our true need of Him this morning. As we open the Word of God, let us pray. Father, as Your Word is open, we do kneel in our hearts before the cross. We ask, Lord, that you may open our eyes that we may see. Open our hearts that we may hear what the Word says to us this morning. Lord, this is our humble prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. The first in love killer I call is neglect. So let's look at Revelation chapter 2, verse 4. Revelation chapter 2, verse 4. What is it that God has against us this morning? The Bible says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against you because you have left your what? Your first love in love experience. So God says, When you're not in the in love, first love experience with me, God says, I have something against you. So as a Christian, we must have that in-love experience at all times. God asks of us. He asks us the same love experience that we had when we first learned about the truth, which is the word, which the truth is a person named Jesus, right? Amen? So when we first learned about Jesus, we fall in love with Him. And that in-love experience, God wants us to have the in-love, first love experience at all times. And He says, if you do not, then the Bible says in verse 4, it says, I have something against you. Because you do not have that in-love experience with me. God has something against us this morning. In the same way, God has something against us when we lose that first love, in-love experience with our spouse. He wants us to have that first love experience. He wants us to have that in-love experience. He wants us to be in love. He wants us to be happy. He doesn't want us to be miserable, to be hurt, to be suffering in a relationship, in a marriage. That is not God's plan for us. That is the devil's plan for us. And let's not blame God for it. Amen? It is Satan's plan to destroy us, to make us unhappy. It is God's plan that He wants us to be happy this morning. What a God do we serve. Amen? What is God's solution for love that is lost? Look at verse 5. The Bible says, Remember therefore for whence you are fallen and repent and do the first works. So God says, you must have that first love experience with me. You must have that in love experience with me. And in order to gain it back, this is the solution now for losing that in love experience. He said, remember. Remember what? God says, in order to restore that relation back with me, we all want that in love experience, first love experience with God. God says, in order to restore that first love, in love experience with me. Now we're talking relationship with God first. He says, remember from where you have fallen and repent or turn from your wicked ways and the direction that you're headed. Make a change in your life. Do something different and do the first works. So in order, God says, in order to restore the relationship that you once had with me, you must do something about it. Try something different. If you think that you're just going to continue on in what you're doing, in your walk with me, nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to change. You have to do something about it in order to restore that relationship with me. And so it says here, God says, Remember where you have fallen. Repent and do 
the what? What does it say? First works. Do the first works. Now when you're first loving God, what did you do? How were you? Do you remember? Can you remember? <laughs> Wasn't anything too hard for the Lord? Would you do anything for the Lord? I remember my first love experience. There wasn't, there wasn't anything I wouldn't do for God. I would do anything for Him. If He asked me to do this, I would drop everything. And I did for the Lord. Because I was in love with Him. There was nothing too hard to do for the Lord because I loved Him with all my heart and I want to serve Him with all my heart. In the same way, God is saying to us this morning, in order to restore that relationship in the marriage, you must remember, what is it that you used to do when you were in love before? What did you used to do when you were in love at that one time? Well, you used to do many thoughtful things for Him. You used to say many kind words to her. You used to date each other. You used to spend time to you enjoy each other's company. It was enjoyable to be with one another. So God gives a solution. In order to restore and break the sinful danger of neglect in a relationship, in a marriage, we must go back to how it was before. We must show kind courtesies and simple kindness to one another to restore what, what used to be love before and bring it back into our relationships and in our marriages. That is the way to restore. God's solution He's a great physician. He gives a prescription, a divine physician, a doctor. He gives a prescription to restore our relationship with Him. This same prescription can be used in our relationship with Him this morning, with each other this morning. Amen? So God wants us to restore our relationships with Him and with each other. Do your first works with one another. There's an example. Turn to Proverbs chapter 31. Proverbs chapter 31, verse 28. Psalms, Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 31, verse 28 to 31. The Bible talks about the virtuous woman. And the virtuous woman does many good deeds and kind acts and courtesies. But I want you to notice, we always focus on the woman of Proverbs 31, right? Woman of Proverbs 31. But this morning, let's look at the husband of the Proverbs 31 woman. How's that? Amen, man? Amen? Amen. Let's look at the husband of Proverbs 31. What makes her such a godly woman? Well, let's see what he does. 28 to 31, the Bible says, Her children arise up and call her blessed. Notice what it says. Her husband... Also, this is after they've been married now. He, what? What does he do? He what? Praises her. He gives us kind courtesies, simple kindness, acts of thoughtfulness, deeds of love. Even after they're married, they're married already. And the reason why she's happy, the reason why she's doing, she's such a virtuous woman, is because she's a happy woman. Amen? And because she's a happy, she is a happy woman, because her husband makes her a happy woman. Amen? And the reason why he makes her a happy woman is because the Bible says he praises her. 
he still hadn't stopped dating her even after they're married. And that's what the Bible says in 30, it says here, he praises her. And he said, what did he say? He says, many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. He says, favor is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman that fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. If you look at this, why relationships go bad. Let's look at this paper. Letters to Young Lovers is a good book. Following the principle of the word, it says, let some of the hours of courtship or dating before marriage run through the married life. Amen? We like to do it all before. But let some of the hours that you've done, you would normally have done before, let it run through the entire married life so you can be forever friends. Next one is, it is the little attentions the numerous small incidents and simple courtesies of life that make up the sum of life's happiness. The little things, these courtesies and small incidents, and um, that makes up the sum. The little tensions make up the sums of life's happiness. The little things. If we begin to give kind attentions to our spouses every day, if we make a change in our life, we will see, beloved, this morning, our marriages come back alive. Amen. The problem is that sometimes you think, oh, okay, if I'm going to have to go to my wife and I'm going to say all these things of sweet um, little courtesies to her or do nice thoughtful kindness to her, some people are going to feel uncomfortable, right? You start, you're not doing it, and all of a sudden you're going to come home and start saying these things and think, what's, what's going on to my husband? He's acting weird or strange, right? Because you never do it. So here's something. So I give counsel to, and this is what um, Yvette and I do. What we do is we have a little journal. And what you do every single day, we write down one thing that we appreciate about each other in it. So day, June 19, I write down one thing um, to her, a little love note. And then she writes one thing she appreciates back to me. And then I put it back on her head bar and she puts it on my head bar and we kind of go back and forth. And that's the easy way that feels comfortable. You don't feel like uncomfortable start sharing um, you know, little courtesies with one another. Well, you're not used to it. And it builds it up, your relationship. Show the first love experience once again, and that'll help revive your marriages. That's why Revelation 2, 4, and 5 says, repent, do your first works. Do what you once used to do when you were dating one another. If you do the exact same thing before, guess what's going to happen now? Your relationship will come alive, right? Amen? And don't we need a live relationship this morning? Come on, church. Amen? Amen. Church, come on, church. Amen? Amen. <laughs> Maybe we're dreading our relationships now. <laughs> Are we dreading this morning? Church? We need to restore our relationships. Our families are being destroyed in Hawaii. And even the marriages, beloved, that somehow break the percentage rates of divorce are not going well. They're not happy. They're not doing good. And we put a facade, and there's no joy and happiness within Christians' lives to this morning. And so God asks us, God demands of us as Christians to set an example to the world because we should have something different, right? Beloved, amen? 
Shouldn't we be different and be joyful and happy about our relationships with one another? We should be. We should be. Unfortunately, it's not true today. Not what I see, beloved. The first danger is neglect. Second danger, separation. Turn to Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2. Isaiah 59, verse 2. Isaiah 59, verse 2. If we restore our homes, there will be a revival and a reformation in God's church, in the Puna church, such as never was before. The latter rain will fall upon this church if we were to just go back to the base of restoring the home. Yes, we restore the church, but the church is made out of families. We think we go backwards. Let's restore the church and the families will come together. No, the Bible goes back. The Bible says, let's restore. The last message of Malachi was to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. Restore the home is the last final message that will bring the laddering, that will bring, of course, with the glory and the character of God, that will bring the revival and reformation that we need so much in our churches. What does sin do to our relationship? What the Bible says, Isaiah 59 verse 2, the Bible says, Verse 1, it says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save. Neither his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. But it says, But your iniquities, your sins, has separated between you and your what? God. And your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not what? Hear. He will not hear your sins when you have clung to your sins and held on to your sins. You see, separation, beloved, is detrimental to any relationship that's out there. In order for any relationship to work, there must always be an open two-way communication between two people. Anything that blocks that open connection will destroy that relationship and hinder that relationship. And that's why in our open communication with God, sin is that barrier that hinders our relationship and our walk with God. This morning. It is sin that separates us from God. God does not separate us from Him. The devil does not separate us from God. It is by our own choice, your own choice this morning, that we are separated or feel separated from God this morning. Because of our sins. My sin this morning. And your sin this morning. Now, turn to Matthew chapter 27, verse 45. Matthew chapter 27, Verse 45. What did Jesus experience on the cross of Calvary? Matthew chapter 27, verse 45 to 46. Notice what happened. The Bible says, Now from the sixth hour there was what? Darkness. Remember that word. We'll get back to it. There was darkness of all the land until the ninth hour. So from 12 to 3. And about the ninth hour, 3 o'clock, 
Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? God the Father and Jesus the Son of God had a relationship. And on the cross of Calvary, Jesus said, Why, my God, my God, my Father, my Father, why have you forsaken or separated yourself from me? And the answer to that is found in Isaiah 53, which says, The Lord, the God the Father, laid the, the iniquity of us all upon the, son, upon the Lamb, Jesus Christ, upon Him. So all the sins of the world was placed upon Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. And that's why he cried. He wasn't, see, Jesus was in a drama. He wasn't pretending to be separated. He wasn't faking this cry. It wasn't a fake cry. He really said in his heart, he felt the separation from his father on the cross of Calvary. And he said, my God, my God, my father, my father, why have you separated? Because sin separates us from God. And when our sins were placed upon him, he was separated from his father on the cross of Calvary. For you and me. That's how much He loves you this morning, beloved. That's how much He loves you and me. So He was separated from His Father on the cross of Calvary for you and me. We're told in Psalms 97 verse 2 that clouds and darkness surrounds the Lord Jehovah, God the Father. So since darkness and clouds were around the cross, then we know that the Father was around the cross of Calvary at 3 o'clock when Jesus died on the cross of Calvary. In other words, we know that the Father was physically near the Son on the cross of Calvary. Physically, He was there. Therefore, and Jesus still died, even though the God the Father was physically near Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, still died on the cross. Now follow me. It wasn't the physical separation that killed Jesus on the cross of Calvary. Because the Father was right there. Instead, it was the emotional, the mental, the spiritual separation that sin causes that Jesus experienced on the cross of Calvary that killed him. In other words, mental, emotional, and spiritual separation will only kill a relationship. You see, physical separation is nothing compared to mental, emotional, and spiritual separation. Because there are relationships today where husbands and wives still live together, physically close, born a living hell. Living together, but mentally, emotionally, and spiritually separated, just like Jesus was on the cross of Calvary. It's not the physical separation, it was the spiritual separation that killed the Son of God. And spiritual separation will only destroy spiritual separation, emotional separation, mental separation will only destroy a relationship. It doesn't matter what relationship. It would destroy it all. The term absence makes the heart grow fonder is true. But it's only true when there's some type of communication that's still going on between the two parties, even though they're physically separated. 
Let's look at the example of the first couple. Genesis chapter 3. Turn to Genesis chapter 3, verse 11. Genesis chapter 3, verse 11 to 13. Let's look at Adam and Eve, the first couple. The Bible says in 11 verse 13, This is after they sinned. And notice what happened. The Bible says, And he said, Who told thee that thou was naked? God's asking and talking to them. Has thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded you that you should not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to me with me, to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. And the Lord said unto the woman, What is it this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14, the Bible says that Eve was deceived, but Adam wasn't. Eve was deceived to eat the fruit, but Adam, it says, the Bible says, he was not deceived. He willingly went and took the fruit and he ate it. And the reason why Adam took the fruit and he ate it, because in his mind, he did not want to lose Eve. He'd rather die with her than to live without her. He was in that in love experience. He wanted to be with her forever, not realizing that God could replace Eve if he had just trusted in her, him. But instead he went to his own feelings and he said, well, if I'm, going, if I'm going to lose my wife to sin, then I'd rather die with her than be without her. So God saw this and he saw their sin. You see, the problem with Adam was that he believed that he could still sin and still have a happy marriage. He thought that he could sin and things would continue on just as it happened as it was before. This in love experience that they once had. See, notice what happened here in verse 12. 12 the Bible says, And a man said, Notice what happened. He said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. In other words, when God asked him, Adam, why did you sin? He said, Lord, it's because of her. It's not my fault. It's her fault. So he blamed her for his own very sin that he did. See, the same man who was so romantic at one time, who said, I'd rather, when he was without sin, he said, I would rather die with you than live without you. This same man who once said that before sin, after sin is now blaming her for his very own sin. You see, sin separates. And the separation of sin was now playing out in the first time in the relationship. And that's why he was so quick to blame Eve. Before sin, so the problem is that sin brings separation in any relationship. Before sin, there was love and a blissful marriage. But after they sinned, there was problems. And beloved, that is why we all need to put away personal sins out of our lives. Amen? See, sin separates in all relationships, in all of our lives. In my life, in your life. In every life here, in every relationship. Sin separates. And sin brings bearers in husbands and wives. Sin brings barriers between parents and children. Sin brings barriers between church members and other church members. 
And that's why that thought that says, oh, I can sin, I can do whatever I want, it doesn't affect anyone else but me, is not true, beloved. Your actions will affect every single body, everyone else's actions all around you. It creates a barrier between people. It creates a negative vibe. An evil spirit that one carries. You ever been in a room and everything's everyone's happy and having a good time and one person walks in and is dead quiet after that? The electricity that is transferred in that room is from that one person's spirit can affect everyone else and can spread like a cancer, beloved. Sin separates relationships. Brothers and sisters, parents and children, husbands and wives, church member and church member, worker and co-worker, Sin in our lives that we cling to, that we hold on to, it destroys, never mind what we think, it doesn't matter what I do, it won't affect anyone else, it's my own problem, don't even talk to me about it. Beloved, it's going to affect everything, everyone around you. It's going to affect your happiness. It's not going to make you happy. Adam and Eve was not happy after they sinned. Before they sinned, they were happy. Everything was good, they were in love. But it was after sin, beloved, that problems came into the relationships. They start blaming each other. They started fighting. They started arguing. Things are not going well anymore. And thinking that we don't need God. We can do whatever we want. We can sin and continue on what we're doing. How do we overcome sin? The Bible says, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. Amen? The solution is Jesus Christ. We behold, who's the lamb? Jesus. What happened to the lamb? It was crucified. It was killed. We behold the sacrifice that Christ made on the cross of Calvary for you and me. We behold the great un- unconditional everlasting love for you and me. When we behold God's great merciful love and gracious love and kindness, everlasting kindness to you and me this morning. When we look at Jesus up on the cross, when we meditate upon it, when we behold it, we contemplate it, we think about it, when we look upon it on the cross of Calvary, it transforms the heart, it changes the life, it makes you a happier person, it makes you a cheerful person, it makes you a loving person. It transforms your whole character. For only love can change a person, beloved. Amen? And Jesus Christ's love is the only thing that can transform you and me this morning. Nothing can change. It doesn't matter how hard you try. You cannot change yourself. Only Jesus can change us this morning. Some of us haven't experienced that yet. But until your heart is melted by the great merciful love of God, you will always continue to be the same person. You must come to the point in your life where you realize that I want to be a different person. I want to reflect the beautiful, matchless charms of Jesus Christ this morning. That's what I want to reflect. And when you finally come to that realization, that point, then you say, Lord, I want to see your goodness. I want to see your character, your glory. I want to see all that. Because I know if I see, if I get a glimpse like it, then I'll be transformed into the beautiful character of Jesus Christ. Sin brings separation in our relationships, all relationships in our lives. Our own choice of sin brings separation between us and our God and between us and our loved ones. Sin is a primary, primary um, responsible thing that destroys our marriages today. It is sin. 
Not only your wife's sin, not only your husband's sin, but it's my sin and it's your sin this morning. That's what destroys it. So we look at neglect. We saw neglect as one of these in-love killers. The solution? Simple courtesies once again. Do your first works. And then we looked at separation. And the problem is because of sin brings separation to all relationships. And the solution, God's physician, his, his solution is, behold the Lamb of God. The third in love killer is found in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 22. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 22. What does it say? The Bible says in 22, this is the third in love killer. It's called anger. An angry man stirs up strife and a fierce man abounds in transgression. So the Bible says an angry person stirs up strife. He likes to create problems and create dissension between people and create um, irritations between people. That's what an angry person does. And a fierce man abounds in transgression of sin. He likes to do this or she likes to do this because they themselves are angry and they're not happy themselves. So within the anger within them, they project it out upon other people and they themselves are miserable. Like Satan, he does the same thing. He's miserable. He likes to make everyone else miserable. He's already lost, but he just wants to bring as much people lost with him. That's his whole motivation. And so that same spirit of sinful nature is within all of us. And so when things are not going good with us, there's a tendency to project the same bitterness and anger that's within us upon others. So the Bible says, the angry man, he stirs up strife, contention. He does this to create problems. Now, how many of you believe that arguing and contentions and irritations and um, gossiping and moody attitudes are healthy for a relationship? Let me see your hands this morning. <laughs> it's not good, right? I know we laugh about it. It's not good, though. <laughs> Here's the problem. Most people that I counsel with don't realize that they have a problem with their temper. It's usually the spouse, as I sit in, that is the one that points it out. Or maybe not the spouse. Sometimes the spouse is so blinded that they don't even see it themselves. They're so used to living in sin that, you know, sin numbs you. You get used to it after a while. You don't see a sin as sin anymore. There's either the children, <laughs> or it's another church member, or something. But no one likes to believe that they have a problem with anything, especially today. It's not my fault. It's like Adam and Eve. They blame everyone else. It's everyone else's fault. It's my genetics. It was my parents. It was how I was born. It's how I was this. It's never my own responsibility. So I have a challenge. Why don't you go home today and take a risk and say to your husband, hus say to your husband, honey, do I have a problem with my temper? <laughs> do I get irritated sometimes? Frustrated? And maybe go to your wife and say, wife, Am I, you know, am I impatient? Do I get moody? 
these different things and talk to each other. Or talk to each, after you talk to them, then talk to your children. Then after that, talk to your coworkers, talk to another church member, and find out if what is said is true or not. This, this morning. That's my challenge to you this morning. You see, the continuous blast of a stormy wind will eventually kill a plant. The first blast, no. The second, no. The 50th, 100th, starting to feel it. But after the thousandth, couple thousand, the big plant eventually dies. In the same way, the continuous blast of our tempers and irritations and impatience will eventually destroy all of our relationships this morning. And there's only one way to get out of this. You have to do something about it. If you do nothing, nothing is going to change. You have to change something about your life. You have to make a, a decided decision in your mind that I, I have to do something different because the way things are going and I'm not changing at all, things are still going the same way. There must be a change in my life. Now, there are many reasons to be angry, bitter, and it has a lot to do with how we're raised, our childhood, how our parents were, our, my, our father, our mother, our brothers and sisters. Maybe a crisis happened, you had physical abuse, emotional abuse, mental abuse, or maybe you had sexual abuse. And we're going to touch a little bit on in a future sermon. But this morning, I'm just going to focus on a foundational principle that stirs anger within all of us and to stay away from it. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So turn with me to Philippians chapter 3, verse 18. Philippians chapter 3, verse 18. Philippians chapter 3, verse 18 and 19. What would those who are the enemies of the cross have? Notice the Bible says. The Bible says, For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell, tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mine earthly things. So those who are the enemies of the cross of Christ, they have several things in common. Number one, they're, they're, they're going to all be destroyed. And all these people are going to be destroyed. They have several things in common. They, they mind earthly things. They have a shameful character. God's glory is His character. Shameful character. And their God is their what? Belly. They will have their God, their belly, as their God. In other words, those that have shameful characters and mind earthly things or will be end with destruction and those who are enemies of the cross of Christ were told in the word of God. In other words, these people will make their belly their God. Their appetite is their God. In other words, they worship their appetite. What was the first sin that was committed? It was based upon what? Eating a fruit? Appetite. What was the solution, Jesus' solution to it? What was his first temptation in the wilderness? What was his first temptation in the Bible records? It was where? What was he tempted on specifically? What was he tempted on? Appetite. Turn the stones into bread, right? So Jesus overcame where Adam failed. 
And Jesus knew that he needed to attack the most important issue was the appetite. If he overcame appetite, he will overcome all sins. And when Jesus does it, he gives that victory that he, he accomplished on this earth, he gives it to you and me as a gift if we accept it this morning. The Bible says, those who keep the commandments of God and have the faith, what? In Jesus? It says, off Jesus. Not faith in him, Jesus. The Bible says, faith off Jesus. In other words, the faith of something is the faith that person had. In other words, Jesus' faith, the faith of Jesus, the faith that Jesus exercised while he was here on this earth is given to you and me as a gift if we would only believe in that gift. Amen? That same victory he gained back then, 2,000 years ago, is given to you and me as a gift if we accept it and believe it. That same gift he had gained over appetite, if we believe and receive into our life, is given to us as a gift if we would only believe in it. In other words, they worshipped appetite. Let's be totally practical about this. Some people say, you know, when people have problems, they say, well, I just go pray about it. You know, I have this problem with my temper and anger, I just pray about it. Some people say, well, you know, I have this problem with, um, I just have this problem with sexual immorality. And the people say, well, just read your Bible. And that's, you know, and that's true principles. But if you really read your Bible and really pray to God, you will hear God's voice and see it and read it and hear it as you read the Word of God, that God asks us to do something about it this morning. He asks us to do something about it. And the question is, are we willing to lovingly obey this morning? There are many reasons for that anger exists. But the foundational reason that anger exists, exists is because of our diet, our lifestyle. This morning, let's look at it in the Word of God. Turn me to Daniel chapter 1, verse 12. Turn me to Daniel chapter 12, 1, verse 12. What did Daniel ask for? Notice what the Bible says. Daniel was taken captive with the young people. And it says, Prove thy servants, I beseech you, ten days, and let them give us pulse. Now, pulse is vegetables to eat. Let us eat pulse to eat, vegetables to eat, and water to drink. They're going to be given the king's diet or what to eat. And Daniel said, no, just give me a plant-based diet and water to drink. Simple diet. That's all I ask. That's why we know it's been having our health nuggets and our health messages and everything. Just give me a simple diet. And then it says, then let our countenances be looked upon before you, and the countenance of the children they eat of the portion of the king's food. So compare us after. Let them eat their food, and then let us eat our food. And as thou seest, deal with your servants. So you consented to prove them in this matter and prove them ten days. And at the end of ten days, notice what it says, their countenances appeared fairer. Another word for that is merrier or happier. Happier and fatter in flesh or healthier physically than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. So they were happier and healthier. Thus Merzah took away the portion of the meat and wine that they should drink and gave them pulse. In other words, he gave them a test. The, king of the, the, the prince of the eunuchs said, okay, you, you take your test, um, I'll give you um, vegetables and water, and you eat your meat and hot and spicy, rich king's meat, uh, food, and we'll compare the two. 
and we see what happens. So he did. He ate a plant-based diet, and he, he continued to eat the king's rich and hot and spicy food, and saw and they saw the difference. And those the Bible says. The Bible says that the the prince of the eunuchs he saw this, and because he saw the difference in ten days, he decided. Daniel did inside now, but a person, a third person, far away, looking out from the outside, saw the difference between the two groups. Two groups that he made a decision that he's going to take away the food of the king and give them what he asked for. That they look healthier, number one, but they also look happier. Not only physically, where they were better, but the Bible says that in their temperament, in their emotions, in their feelings, in how they felt, in the mental, in the spiritual, they were better. They were happier. They were more cheerful. They were good to be around with type of people. Kind of people you want to just hang around with. They didn't have a bad temper. They weren't impatient. They weren't fretful. But they were loving, kind, merciful. Kind of like Jesus was, huh? Kind of like how Jesus was. You look at this paper here. There is a Victor Valley Medium Correctional Facility in Adelanto, California. There's a prison, California. Terry Moreland, he runs this prison. And he runs a New Start program. Get this one. They actually run a New Start program in this prison. In other words, you go to this prison, and you come there, and they tell you, okay, you got two choices. There's two sides. The prison divided in half. You got one side that's a regularly run prison like all the other prisons. This is probably run, contracted by the state out to a group um, who runs this. And one side is regular prison. The other side is um, a different side of prison, Christian, but it's based upon New Start program. And the New Start program is this. It focuses on vegan meals, Bible study classes, now, you know, vegetarian, vegan, that doesn't mean anything to me. You can still be a vegetarian and eat more unhealthy than a person who eats a meat-based diet. So it does not fool anybody. But nevertheless, the Bible is talking about eating a plant-based diet. That would change. Eating healthy. So the one side is the vegan meals. The other side is also not only vegan meals, but the new sub-program is Bible study classes anger management program, job training, and psychological counseling. And then you can choose. But if you choose the new start side, you, can't, you have to follow the program. So they're given a choice. They're not forced. They say, okay, you can choose. You can go to the regular prison side with all the gangs and everything that's going on. Or you can go to the new start side. Now, some of the prisons on the mainland are pretty, pretty crazy. A lot of gang violence out there. I know someone in a federal prison in the mainland now. He said the gang violence is so, especially the Mexican gang, is so crazy. And he's a big guy. Yeah, I thought he was scared of nobody. But he said that at times, they said they kill people. I mean, people die all the time in those prisons. He said that when he's eating his food, they know they're grabbing somebody and they're beating him up and they're stabbing him and blood is shooting on his table. And so he, he said, he built it. He said he don't even, he's so scared he won't even want to look. He just kind of moved down and continued eating his food. That's how violent it is. So you have a choice. You can go either one or the other. So what he's doing is he just, 
They give you a choice to go to Nusan side or the regular side, where there's all the gang interracial violence and problems and everything. So, and it goes on this research. There's a research here. Look at the next one, Dr. Neil Bernard. Notice what it says. It says here, a Massachusetts study on male aging showed that men who had higher levels of SHBG, which is sex hormone binding globulin, in their blood, okay, so if you had this SHBG, if you have it in your blood, they were rated by their wives as less aggressive and less domineering. SHBG is a protein that binds to testosterone and reduces its activity, which is generally a good thing. As it happens, high fiber diets or plant-based diets boost SHBG. In other words, those who eat a plant-based diet are rated by their wives as being less aggressive and less domineering. Think about it. What animals eat meat? Flesh food. Tigers? Lions? What animals eat plant-based food? Giraffe? Cows? Sheep? Lamb? Go away. Lamb? How many of you want to be in a cage with a lion? How many of you want to be in a cage with a lamb? <laughs> I'd rather be in a cage with a lamb than a lion any day. Amen? So you notice the difference. And that's why scientific research validates what the Bible has already been saying all these years. And then on top of that, notice what it says next. Doug Anglin, who's the director of this food service in his prison. He echoed Dr. Bernard's comments about vegetarians on high-fiber diets being less violent. He said he notices it. He's a food director. He noticed the difference between the two sides. He said the new start side, the prisoners, are housed together in one section of the building. When there's a violent outbreak, he said, 90% of the time is not on the ve- non it's on the non-vegetarian side of the facility. Every time there's an outbreak, it's on the side, it's, they're eating meat, he says. This is his own observations. He said, a vegan himself, and in says there are rare occurrences of violence on the vegan side of the prison. There's rare occurrences. It, doesn't, it hardly even happens. They don't get mad, irritated, and everything. Look at the next one. I'm going to go on. He says, there is, noticeable, there is noticeable difference in the personalities of the vegetarian inmates. They smile more, just like Daniel. He was happier. He was merrier. They smile more. They're more happier. And are fully racially integrated. You do not see that in prisons on the mainland. A lot of racism. Attend religious classes and anger management classes eagerly. And notice what it says, just like the Bible. He said, within 10 days, the vegan inmates express improvement in how they feel. Amen? How many days? How many days did Daniel say prove me? Amazing, huh? Notice what it says here on the bottom. Not only meats, but it says, food prepared with condiments and spices inflames the stomach. What irritates the stomach will irritate the person. It corrupts the blood and paves the way to stronger stimulants. Stimulants. Notice what it says. These hot foods and spicy foods, it induces nervous stability. What's the next word? Ever struggle with impatience? Patience? Impatience is trying to manipulate the other person to get them to do what you want because of what self wants, selfishness. That's what impatience is. Through anger or manipulation or control, whatever it is, to get them to do what you want. 
induces nervous stability, impatience, and lack of self-control. Do we lack self-control today? Overcoming sins in our lives? I share this because my experience with anger goes back a long ways. Impatience, a temper. And I remember I used to love eating my, I love eating my meat. So all I used to eat is meat and rice. That's all I eat. I hated vegetables. I hated fruit. And so that's all I eat. And my temper was so bad. I was so impatient. And I remember when I transformed my, my diet and it transformed, it changed dramatically. Dramatically. Patience came in. I was at peace with God and with man. It transformed my life. So I'm not ensuring, I'm preaching from experience, beloved, this morning. My relationships got better. My, before this time, I relate, every time I had a girl, we always fight. She's eating whatever, I'm eating whatever. Fighting, arguing, temp, temper, impatient. I want things to be... See, most of the fights was because of impatience. Because I want things to be done now, right? You want things to be done. Why didn't you do that? So impatience is a major problem within relationships. And so impatience was caused because of the diet that we're doing. When I changed it and transformed my whole re- life and transformed my whole relationships, everything that I did, it made a whole big difference. The danger is, is that when we fall, see, that's why I say, you know, we claim names and vegetarian, vegan, you can eat more unhealthy. So you're eating all these vegetarian foods, you eat hot and spicy foods and all these condiments and vinegar and all these things that, that irritates the stomach. It makes you more irritated than when you eat meat. And that's why you need to be focused and devoted. My challenge to you this morning, why don't you take the 10-day test for yourself? That's my challenge. Why don't you test God? Why don't you prove God this morning? Why don't you see what happens to your temper? Why don't you see if really you can be more merry, more happy, and more cheerful, like how Daniel was proven to be, and see how it affects your marriage and relationships. Married couples today are searching for happiness. They think that they're not happy because maybe they married the wrong person. So 50% of people who get married get divorced. And these people who get divorced, they think, well, because it was my husband's fault or my wife's fault. And so they get married again. And those who get married a second time, guess what? Guess how much percent of them get divorced? 60%. So they think, well, it's the other person's fault. So when they get married a second time, they actually have a high percentage of messing up the relationship than the first marriage. So 60% of the people who get married a second time get a divorce. Now there's 40% that do make it, but 60% majority, that's bad odds, I'm sorry. That's bad odds to go by. Or they think, well, I made two bad decisions. Their fault, their fault. Everyone's blaming everyone else. So therefore, their fault. So therefore, I'm going to get another divorce. And then go for the third marriage. And guess how much of the third marriages end up in divorces? 75%. So each time around, it gets worse and worse and worse. It doesn't get better. They think, if I had better odds, it's going to get better. It doesn't. There is no guarantee Apparently, the prospect of a happier marriage is not substantiated the second or the third time around. But with the Lord, anything is possible. Amen? You can restore your relationship right now. We're going to look more at that in the future. God can turn a bad marriage into a good one if you would just lovingly obey His prescriptions for a good marriage. That's all He wants this morning. He wants us, it doesn't matter where your marriage is. You can revive that in love experience once again. Amen? Amen. 
rather than give up yet another time? Why not make it work and do something different? Why not make decided changes today that will try all three of the divine prescriptions that we talked about this morning? Yes, it's going to be a sacrifice this morning to say kind attentions to your wife and to do thoughtful things for your husband. Yes, it will. But Jesus did many kind acts and thoughtful deeds for us while we were still sinners and enemies of God and hated Him. Yes, it will be a sacrifice to give up your sins to Jesus. But Jesus sacrificed His life for you on the cross so that you wouldn't be separated from Him. On the, as he was separated from his father. Yes, it would be a sacrifice to give up meat and hot and spicy foods, but Jesus sacrificed in the wilderness for, by, for you by not eating 40 days and 40 nights so that he can gain the victory and he can give it to you if he but asked this morning. So beloved, let us do the first works of giving our simple attentions and courtesies to our loved ones. Let us overcome the sins in our lives so that there be no separation in our homes, in our relationships. Let us change our diet so that we will not be angry, impatient, or irritable with the one that we have promised to love and to cherish this morning. For we do these things, our love for our spouse, our children, our relationships will surely grow. This is the secret to staying in love. Staying in love, staying in love, is falling in love over and over and over again, always with the same person. That's all it is. Being in love and staying in love is falling in love over and over and over again, always with the same person. Let us therefore fall in love over and over again with our spouses and with our Savior Jesus Christ. How many, want to, how many this morning by raising your hand want to say, Lord, I want to follow you and I want to fall in love with you and with my spouse and my family all over again. Amen.